This is The Playbook. Welcome to Entrepreneurs The Playbook. This is David Meltzer live from the greatest stadium ever created. That's a billion dollar screen behind me. If you can believe it, anything uh, can be manifested, including that screen. I'm here with Scott Jeffrey Miller. He's the author of an incredible book, multiple books, by the way, The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship, 13 Roles to Making a True Impact. Welcome to The Playbook, Scott. Man, thank you for the platform and this gigantic spotlight. I appreciate it. I'm yeah, in I want to see your face up there. Maybe we can work that out. Besides, <laughs> My wife would say that would be ill-advised. Unlikely and ill-advised. Uh, well, not, we can make it likely, but yes, maybe <laughs> ill-advised. Anyway, you know, you're an impactful leader. And there's so many different perspectives into leadership. I'm blessed to have my college football coach here, and yes. he's one of my favorite leaders in the world. Ironically, one of my other favorite leaders in the world went to Occidental as well, which is President Obama. Hmm. Um, so leadership has played an important part uh, since I've been really young, and it's because of the impact that the leader has had on me. And you talk about these 13 yeah. roles of true impact. I was hoping that we could look at the impactful side of leadership. But before we do, I'd love you to define, I'm always wondering someone like you has worked with Franklin Covey in yes. the leadership business for so long, years. writing so many books about leadership. How do you define leadership? Well, I think leadership is igniting the spark in someone that may have dimmed. It might be identifying, naming the super genius that they don't know they have. It's really believing in someone more perhaps than they believed in themselves. Dr. Covey would say that. I also don't think that everyone should be a formal leader of people. A formal leader. Right. Yes. Everyone, of course, can lead. Culture, strategy, yourself. But I think it's dangerous in a lot of organizations that oftentimes it's the, it's the high potential individual contributor that becomes lured into leading people and it isn't the right role for them. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist, not everybody <laughs> should be a commercial airline pilot, and not everyone should be a formal leader of people. Companies need individual contributors. I've been leading people for 30 years. I need a break. I just wanna be responsible for myself right now. I think leadership is a noble career, but not everyone should sign up to lead people because it isn't their natural calling. Can it be learned? Yes, but the price might not be worth it for everybody. It's so funny you say that because as a young sales person yeah. and then became a sales leader right. as a vice president of a multi-billion dollar corporation in my 20s, I would make the mistake often of taking my best salespeople and making them leaders. And then I ended up with a really bad leader. Right. And just lost my best right. salesperson. Totally. I think the key to making that transition from individual contributor to leader of people is something you're passionate about. It's your mindset. Is that a leader's job is to achieve results with and through other people. So when people are the top producer and they're lured into leadership, they've got to be really mindful that you aren't the star anymore. Your job isn't to save the day to always rush in and do it. You've got to let people struggle. You've got to recognize that your job is to coach and build capability and show patience and listen and recognize that there's other ways to accomplish things different than perhaps you would do it. It's so funny you say that as well. When I met Dennis Waitley as a young yeah. man, I lived there's in There's a name from the past. Yeah. yeah an, ama an amazing thought leader himself. Uh, I was very resistant to him and Mike Bosworth teaching me to sell mm. and very resistant because I felt like I'm a great salesperson. This old guy, and that was at that time, <laughs> this old guy can't teach me how to sell. And he said something that resonates with me now at 55. He said, Dave, I'm just planting seeds in a tree I may not 
ever sit under. Well said. And I'm like, wow. Uh, and that's to me is one of the greatest, not only challenges, but it's a guide to impact because we take linear time out of leading that we have to trust that we're planting seeds as well. Is How is that related to 13 rules of Well, impact. it's exactly related. You know, one of the themes in your books is the power of mentorship. I started counting the number of times you used the word mentorship and connected to goodness. I lost count because it was <laughs> such a presence in your life. I think there's a difference between leadership and mentorship. Yes. I think that not every leader should be a mentor, that a lot of the competencies that make you a great leader don't always translate into mentorship. Sometimes you need more patience. Sometimes your questions that are piercing in business aren't right for your mentee. Mentorship really is about helping your mentee accomplish what it is they want to do. Not trying to live vicariously through them, not trying to wrong the sins of your mistakes, but really asking yourself, do I possess the wisdom to help this pit person accomplish their goal by perhaps making some of the successes that I make come true with their unique talents and traumas, avoiding the mistakes that I made, but really, again, igniting the genius that is unique to your mentee and to the extent your, men, your, your wisdom along the way is helpful, they're going to come about in these 13 roles. 13's a lot. Right? I was Dr. Covey's chief marketing officer, seven habits yeah. of highly effective people, the literary golden rule, never more than seven. I had 15. My publisher <laughs> passed out, and I made a compromise and brought it from 15 down to 13. But these are optional roles. Mentors aren't going to play every one of these roles. They're situational. They're circumstance-based on what your mentee is trying to accomplish. And in those roles, I see three, three different things. One would be, as a leader, to be a mentor, someone that can give you directions to where they're at. Yeah. But not everyone can be a mentor because they're not where someone wants to be. Yeah. And yet some people try to mentor. We see this a lot with the internet where you get these life coaches that are 19. And I'm like, hold on a second. Yeah. You can't be where somebody wants to be at 19 in life circumstances. You can know social media advertising right. and a variety of things that old guys and women don't know. Um, but the second one is to be a teacher uh, as a leader. So to be able yeah. to explain yeah. you know, how to do things. And then you have mentor, teacher, and then uh, coach, yeah. which my coach is here. And a coach, in my opinion, is aligned with a lot of your leadership impact, which is bringing the best out of yeah. you. Yes. Tiger Woods has a coach. Tell me that coach is a mentor. I'll tell you you're full of shit. Tell me that coach is a good teacher. I'm sure they can explain things to help him. But what they really do to Tiger Woods is bring the best out of him. And hold him accountable. Exactly. That's right. That's right. So, so how, how do you see the relativity of mentorship, teaching, and coaching? You know, I have, a, I have a strong point of view on this. I, I think it's sometimes irresponsible to ask your leader to be your mentor because your leader is your boss. Their job is to hold you accountable and help you achieve results. On rare occasions, can our leader also be our mentor? It's rare. Yes. I usually counsel people, don't put your leader in that situation. Smart. If she or he wants to play that role, that's unique and treasure that. But usually you're looking for somebody else in your journey that has a different relationship with you. I think there's a lot of similarities between coaching and mentorship. Typically now in our society, coaches, it's a profession. They've been certified. They have a pedagogy. They have a process. They're earning a living on this. Mentorship is more what I see you as. It's more of a, it's a, it's a drive. It's a purpose. It's a desire philanthropically to invest in someone, in a tree that you may never have had the chance to sit under or benefit from. It's usually a relationship that has a beginning and the end. And it's usually something where you're trying to get something done. And as the mentor, like I mentioned, your wisdom, your path could help 
provide that person a future that they never knew. One of the roles in the book is the visionary. And I actually have a counterintuitive point. I don't think the best role as the visionary is to paint a big, bold vision of what your mentee could do. Because if you're like me, I vision all day long. I can crush you. I can put a vision on top of you that's based on my goals and my skills and my talent. And you may not be able to accomplish that based on your talents or your traumas or your fears. So it's important that all of these roles are calibrated, not based on what you're trying to accomplish for you, but what your mentee is trying to accomplish for them. And that's kind of counterintuitive to a lot of coaches and leaders. Another thing that seems to be difficult today is that you talk about the mentee, the mindset, heart set, and handset of the mentee. And I'll use a, a sports analogy just from where I'm from. When I played football, my coach would grab, not in college, of course, but before college. He's here. My coach, yeah. <laughs> my coach would grab my face mask and call me an F and P word. Wow. Right on a bad play. Yeah. And parents would laugh, right? They would laugh. And there's a lot that we have to unlearn as leaders because the mindset, heart set, and handset has changed of the player, the, the mentee, the employee, the children that we have. And I'm constantly trying to meet people where they're at. For you, how important is it to not use a Thurbian with anti-deviance, yes. you know, perturbate people all the time to get the best out of them when the, the shift has occurred, people don't want to be perturbated. There has to be other ways to communicate to bring the best out or plant a seed. This is why I don't think all great leaders make great mentors because as a mentor, you have to have an unusual level of empathy, yes, a, a natural level of patience, a patience that might not make you a great leader running a public company, making sure that you have, you know, quarterly, you know, profits to your stakeholders and stockholders and investors. There's obviously crossover skills, but you're right. I mean, patience is a leadership competency. Now it's a mentoring competency empathy, vulnerability, relatability. By the very nature of being a mentor, you're likely probably more seasoned, a little older, years in the saddle, more experience. And so you're gonna have a bit of an intimidating impact on your mentee. You want your mentee to be vulnerable. You want them to feel comfortable talking about their fears and their challenges. You don't want them uh, mirroring your behavior or your vocabulary, they're just faking it. So I think that if I were to offer any advice to a mentor, it's develop your self-awareness. Know what it's like to be on the other side of a Zoom call or at a Starbucks or is coming to your multi-million dollar office sitting behind your big decks with all your you know, accolades on the wall. It's super intimidating. If you really want your mentee to take full advantage of your insights, you have to lower the barriers. You have to know what it's like to be coached by me, what it's like to be married to me, what it's like to be parented by me. And the only way to know that is to ask. Ask your friends, ask your champions, ask your detractors, because you may have to change your vocabulary a little bit, your rate, your tone, your pitch, your energy, not the entire time, but I think it's vitally important that mentors set the conditions, the circumstances, to make it safe for the mentee to choose a high level of engagement in that mentoring session. And now I teach values. I'm a value-based leader, and I've written books about Beyond Connected to Goodness, which incorporates my four yeah. values as basic foundational values of everything, uh, from compassionate capitalism, creating the life you love with Jack Canfield, yeah. to even game time decision-making. You've touched on two of my values, which is empathy and accountability. Mm. But there's two other values that I know are intertwined within the concept 
of being an impactful leader. And one is gratitude and the other is effective communication. Mm -hmm. How do you intertwine in impactful leadership? Number one, gratitude, and then yeah. two, effective communication. Number one, I don't know anyone who is happy or fulfilled or influential that doesn't live their life in alignment with a spirit of gratitude. Gratitude that you have hands where you can open the dishwasher and unload it, a task I hate. Gratitude that you have enough money to fill up half your gas tank, maybe not the full gas tank, but gratitude in everything you have. It's a learned skill. It's a learned mindset. You mentioned effective communication. The biggest lesson I learned from Dr. Stephen R. Covey, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of my favorites, by the way. 50 million copies sold. <laughs> As the chief marketing officer, I was constantly called by the press wanting to interview me on the seven habits of highly efficient people. And I would say, no, the book is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. They sound similar, but they're different. And I think a lot of us as leaders, as spouses, as parents, as mentors confuse efficiency with effectiveness. This has been a big struggle for me. My success in life has come from my efficient mindset, making lists, checking things off, getting things done. Like you, I, raise at, I rise at four o'clock every morning. I write my ink column from four to five, my books from five to six. I'm a dad from six to eight. I'm an entrepreneur. You get the point, right? I fall into bed every night at I got a new person to call at four. So well, I, you can I, call I'm me, happy. no problem at all. <laughs> that efficiency mindset has served me very well in all areas of life, except with relationships. Because to quote Dr. Covey, you cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective. Hmm. He said, with people, fast is slow, and slow is fast. So to quote you, I think arguably one of the most important aspects that leaders, if not the most important aspect of leaders and mentors, is to know how to be effective. You've got to match other people's energy. You may have to slow down. You may have to exercise more patience. Being able to articulate your thoughts into words that resonate with others, that they understand there's no confusion. Right? Nearly all conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. I think it's important for all of us to assess when to be efficient and when to be effective. I'm going to spin this a little bit. Um, hopefully not too many people, if anyone has asked you about this, um, ignorance. One of the things in my life is the understanding of ignorance that has changed my life. There's two types of people in the world in my perspective. There's ignorant people that don't know what they don't know. Yes. And then there's ignorant people that don't know what they don't know. But there's two types. There's the ignorant, humble people that usually take a long time mm. to get to, like it mm. has for me. Mm. Hey, I don't know what I don't know. Admit, I don't know what I don't know. And then there's what I used to be the majority of the time, which was ignorant arrogance. And there's two types of arrogance. One is the attacking one. We see it on social media, hurt people, hurting people. But the one that's most dangerous is in the most important context of being a leader because I think it applies most to people we love, whether it's a parent, uh, an executive who loves the people that work with him. Um, and I don't know, it's emotional for me because ignorant arrogance that based off of fear. My mom uh, would lie in front of a bus for me still today. And so, but she's the most dangerous, ignorant, arrogant person mm. in my life because she is more afraid for me mm. than is for herself. Mm. And I see as leaders who care, which I, the empathy side of being a leader, that sometimes we lose sight on the ignorant humility that's necessary to lead. Mm. And we project an ignorant arrogance, especially to our own children. Yeah. And we give bad advice and make bad decisions as leader based off of ignorant and arrogance. 
I was hoping you could comment yeah. on the yeah. difference, the difference that from your perspective, not mine. Sure. I might use different words, but Please. same topic. Yeah. At Franklin Covey, we used to call it sometimes unconsciously incompetent. Like, <laughs> I don't know that I don't know, which is different than just sort of, you know, being incompetent. Uh, one of my greatest mentors in life is a woman named Ann Chow. She was the former CEO of AT&T Business, $40 billion division, first ever non-white female in the history of AT&T as CEO. Fortune 40 most powerful woman, best-selling author. Ann Chow is arguably one of the most influential women in the world. And her most common phrase is, I don't know about that. Teach me about that. Boardrooms, on stages, on conferences and interviews. This is an enormously well-educated woman, went to Juilliard, teaches at Northwestern, makes multiple thousands of dollars, right? You can see the echelon. And I've heard her say countless times in public, I don't know about that. And what Anne's doing is, secondarily, she's educating herself. But what she's really doing is she's giving permission to all the young people in this room behind this camera that are either your internship, something you're super passionate about. She's giving permission to everyone to say, it's okay not to know. What's not okay is to stay ignorant, is you got to speak up and say, I don't understand that. David, can you teach me about that? David, you're using words I'm not familiar with. Can you slow down? And I think Anne's being an extraordinary model of helping people feel comfortable being uncomfortable. Because if you don't know it, the likelihood is most people don't either. And you're giving a huge gift to yourself and to everybody else because you showed the confidence to say, I don't know about that. That takes humility. That takes vulnerability. That takes low ego, right? That takes checking your humility and just saying, I don't know, teach me. I love how Ann Chow, I think, is a great model of just that. I love that. And one of the things that attracted me to Gary Vaynerchuk when he was forcibly trying to get me to be a middle-aged mutant turtle on the internet, you know, Instagram, are you kidding? I thought DM was my initials. <laughs> I didn't know it was direct message. That's how far along <laughs> ignorance he had to bring me. But very commonly as he mentors me still in social media and digital yeah. marketing, he's like, Dave, I don't know. Like, let's find somebody who does know. And it opens up such a great trust in him that when he does tell me what he knows, yes, that he actually has some credibility yeah. and understanding. Yeah. That's where my original ignorant arrogance of my mother, you know, mm. of, you know, just cause someone loves you doesn't mean you give you good advice, but also, to be more interested yes, than, interesting. than interesting. I don't know Gary personally, but I like how willing he is to change his mind. Yes. And some might see that as flip-flopping or not being clear, but he's more of the elk, I've learned new things. I made the mistake. That was wrong. Or that was relevant then, but it's not relevant today. What a great model in emotional and mental agility and nimbleness. And that defines him really well. All right, last question. And uh, I'm holding the ultimate guide, so make sure that you see this. It's to great mentorship, 13 rules to making true impact. I ask all authors this that come on here, and we've had James Clear, we've yes. had all the best selling yeah. in, in, in the bookstore. They all the come airport. to you, don't they? they <laughs> I'm blessed to have them because it's like being the, I'm the atomic You're a Napoleon Hill. You're a magnet. Like, I get to friend. interview everyone, yeah. like without paying all that money. <laughs> Carnegie didn't have to give me millions of dollars to travel the world. I could just use this internet thing. It's amazing. Um, but I always like to ask people because there's a different intention. Uh, behind a book yes. with the author. Yeah. If I would ask you one takeaway that you would like people to have, there's going to be different ones for everyone, but one takeaway that you would prioritize from this yes. book, yeah. what would it be? Clearly, it's the rule of the validator. So one of the 13 rules is the validator. 
And this is, a, I think, a consequential opportunity for a leader, a mentor, a parent, a friend to slow down and call out and name someone's genius, their super talent, their superpower. I'm a stutterer. I've had a stutter my entire life. I have a nearly debilitating speech impediment. I've been to decades of speech therapy, wow. speech pathology, braces three times, Invisalign twice. I have two speech coaches. There's 35 words I cannot say in public. In the wintertime, where I live in Park City, Utah, it quadruples. So if you ever come skiing, it'll be a very quiet day. <laughs> but I once worked at a bakery in Orlando, Florida, and a woman walked in. I was like 19 years old. A woman walked in from the Middle East and bought a pastry and asked me for directions somewhere. Four blocks this way, two blocks that way. And as she walked out of the bakery, she turned around and she said to me, you are a powerful communicator. You have a great command of the English language. That's going to take you far in life. I was 19 years old with a stutter. This woman validated me by a very specific skill set she saw in me. And I, I packed that in my metaphorical backpack. And I unpack that whenever someone is kicking my ass on YouTube, bringing me down on Twitter, telling me my books aren't good or whatever it is. We laugh about them. My boys and my favorite pastime is watching the Twitter feed. That's just, you know, excoriating yeah, yeah. me. I should die. We <laughs> laugh about it. But I think the role of being the validator in someone, being very specific, not congrats on showing up to work today or you look great, but naming someone's super skill that they may not know can have a consequential impact on someone's future. Which is why I define genius as an expression of God. And uh, no matter what you believe, it's our higher self, our potential. And if you want to reach your higher self and your potential, it's books like these Thanks, uh, that allow you to do so. It's liberating yourself as well as liberating other, others with a perspective which mm. becomes a focus, believe it or not, of our lives perspective. When Wayne Dyer said, change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, what he meant was perspective mm -hmm. is your focus. Mm -hmm. And so we gotta make sure that we give the right perspective. That's part of being a great leader. I will validate you as a genius <laughs> uh, in leadership. Nobody has more experience with leaders and can define it and articulate it so well, even if you have a debilitating stutter, <laughs> which do. was complete surprise to me. Uh, an amazing man, Scott Jeffrey Miller. Thanks Check it out. Me. The ultimate guide to great mentorship here at the world's greatest stadium, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. This is David Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.